You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. I'm, I'm, I'm um, <clears throat> very well versed at, uh, in the word fuck. It's one of my favorite words. Uh, yeah, so versatile, um, you know? Oh, it is. It really is. It's probably the most versatile word I know. Could not agree more. And uh, to that point, let's uh, go ahead and introduce you for the audience. Matthew Palomary, it is so cool to meet you, my friend. You are a connection through Christian Yordanoff, mutual brother, mutual brother rather, of the show here. His episode number 210 uh, will be located down in the show description, along with all the ways to find you, my friend. MatthewPalomary.com as well as MysticInkPublishing.com. You're the, you've got 18 books in print. We're going to talk about some really cool shit here tonight. Your holographic cosmic man, the holographic heart of the golden mean. It sounds absolutely incredible. We're also going to touch on your thinning veil, if you don't mind. Uh, there's so absolutely. many things that we're going to discuss here this evening, sir. But before we get to all of that, if you don't mind in your own words, just introduce yourself for the audience's sake. But Yeah, my name is Matthew Palomari, otherwise known as Mateo, if I'm south of the border. Um, I'm actually have 20 books in print now. I'm working on my 21st. Things are moving quick. Um, I like to introduce myself as a perspiring writer. Um, I've been at it and I've been, I've been teaching. I have a, a workshop called fantastic fiction with a pH. And, um, I've been with the Santa Barbara writers conference for 35 years. So I've been teaching that workshop there and other conferences across the country. I've also lectured about shamanism 
I was part of a big uh, visionary art exhibit based around the works of uh, Pablo Amaringo. I don't know if your uh, audience is familiar with Pablo or not, or any of his protégés, Alfredo Zacasitas. Um, among other things, I've been going into the Amazon for 25 years. I've done 13 10-day extended plant dietas. I've spent probably a couple of months with the Shipibo Indians. Um, I've been through the Andes um, for probably maybe a total of a month and a half to two months working with plant medicines there. I can go on and on and on, but um, I write fiction and nonfiction. Um, I've been obsessed with it for quite a while. And uh, I'm, that's why I'm a perspiring writer, because I've had lots of critical success, lots of awards, and not lots of money. <clears throat> but that's the, the life of an artist. Well, tell me your favorite thing about the occupation you've chosen. Well, um, to be honest with you, I have an extensive background in altered states going back over 50 years. I've tried everything I can get my hands on. I've probably missed a few here and there. But to be honest, writing is my favorite altered state. Uh, when it's flowing, I, time disappears. Suddenly, two, three hours have gone by, and I've got a really good first draft. And, you know, uh, among writers, first drafts are usually real shit. And, you know, and I put them away for a while before I hit a second draft, but then I'll, I'll pick up a, a first draft that I thought was real shit, and I'll read it and I'll go, wow, this is pretty good. This is really good. And then I'll think, this is really good. Who wrote this? Because it wasn't me. So there's a, for lack of better words, there's a channeling aspect to this. Uh, I don't really like the word, the expression channeling, but it's it's similar to what happens to me in ayahuasca ceremonies. And I've actually been leading ayahuasca ceremonies for, geez, I don't know now, 17 years, maybe. Um, so I'm, I'm all about that. But writing is my favorite altered state, period. Are you a musician at all? Yes, I am. What do you play? Um, I, was looking, I was looking at your guitar back there. I'm a percussionist. I'm a vocalist. And, uh, you know, I play traps, I play hand drums. And uh, are you familiar with um, hand pans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I play hand pan also. Very cool. We have a buddy, Sean, who plays it over in Scotland. It's wild. He's amazing. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I play it. I really blow people out when I play it in ceremonies. That's so cool. Um, and even people who aren't altered, um, it has a very calming, magical effect. I call it, I call it the mothership, you know? I'm reaching yes. out to the mothership. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in design as well, the thing looks like a damn UFO. It's badass. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and mine was custom made. Um, cost me thirty six hundred bucks. Maybe when everything was said and done, four grand with the stand and all. Um, and it's Very magic. Cool. Well, we got to yeah. invite you out to Frequency Theorists. I'm going to go ahead and link uh, link to one of the episodes below, guys, so y'all can check the show description on it. But it's just a group of musicians. We get together and talk about everything from music conspiracies, the hijacking of you know, the 440 to 432 or vice versa uh, oh, yeah. from that to birds aren't real. Like we just talk a bunch of shit, dude. Um, we've got one coming up that I'll talk to you about before we um, head off here to invite you to. So check the link down there, guys, if you want to check out this kind of other show that we're doing. And it's a lot of fun, Matthew. You got to come hang out with us. Uh, curious oh, yeah. uh, of, of all your travels, your interests, the amount of time you've been doing it, especially the people that you mentioned that you were hanging out with down in uh, South America. Have you ever heard of Peter Gorman? 
that name really rings a bell. Yeah, he was a High um, Times editor, and he um, wrote about okay. the, um, I think, the exact same people or the Matisse people down in uh, Peru. And he uh, did so many things for their rights. He's actually the reason also that uh, the states even knows really about ayahuasca. He was bringing it up, I think, in an article in 84 that he wrote about mm. it in High Times. So this dude was back and forth, same like you. I mean, we just lost him last year, but... He uh, has been on the show, so actually I'll just go ahead and link his episode as well if you guys want to check that out. I think you would really dig that, but you you give me this vibe about him. He's this no fucks, purely authentic, does what he wants, but very enlightening, but just calm, confident. you got like this vibe about you, man, that you know you've seen some shit. You know you've got some stories, but also you're here to help, and you're here for anybody in your path to be of service. And so it's like this really cool vibe that you have, and uh, I pick up on it quite, quite easily, but it's very rare to see, which is very Thank cool. Thank you. Yeah, man. Don't, so, don't let my head get too big here. No, 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 no. You're, you're in good okay. hands here is what we're trying to say here. So tell me, uh, tell me about um, your memoir, Spirit Matters. Does that sound uh, like it matters to you? Oh, yeah. So a um, couple of things about that one. I was very honest about my background. I come from a tough background. Um, I grew up in Dorchester in Boston, Boston's biggest neighborhood, or as we like to say, I grew up in Dorchester. Um, you know, uh, lots of violence, um, lots of stuff, lots of crime, blah, blah. And um, I like to say it's a journey from the concrete jungle with false reality to the real jungle with real reality, real spirituality, actually, I should say, as opposed to reality. And it starts from my beginnings, um, my crazy beginnings, goes through my life. And I was very open about all of my experiences with altered states. You know, I started off when I was little, as soon as I learned first, I, I getting dizzy. Dude, and I, I have said this. I have said this. I'm going to pop in that? here because the idea of uh, weed being a gateway drug, I'm like, no, it's not. Any altered state's going to be a gateway drug to invite you to participate in other altered states because they're appealing and they're new and weird and bizarre, right? And the one yeah, yeah. I always say is the first one you start with, the real gateway drug, is when you hold your arms out in the in the uh, yard there and you spin around until you fall down yeah. and you're dizzy. That's your first high right that's your self-induced altered state yeah i love that you said so, that man oh thank you great minds um so i went i went from getting dizzy to learning how to hyperventilate then i discovered sniffing glue um which was great basic training for psychedelics and then of course weed came along and i loved weed i still do probably to a fault um i could get into all that and then um around 71 I was first turned on to LSD, and um, then it had just become illegal, and I was in Boston, so we used to get it from MIT, a chemist at MIT who went by the name of My Favorite Martian, and um, everything was, was four-way hits. It took doing it maybe seven or eight times before I could handle a whole hit of it. it. It was really mind-blowing. How old were um, you? Then, uh, I got to think about that, 16? Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just not 16, 17, um, right in there. Um, that changed everything. And then as time passed, um, I went on over time to learn more about the plants. But I went through a period, um, you know, I was in rock bands in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and I went from a period 
of this, I had a big profound revelation when I was 21, when I was in the Midwest in the military in the Air Force. And that's part of Spirit Matters. So Spirit Matters went on to my first uh, dieta, ayahuasca dieta in the jungle. And I had a profound, profound, profound life-changing experience. Now, I was concerned about the book because I was really honest about my drug experiences and my, my quote-unquote criminal background, but I knew the statute of limitations ran out on some of the things I did. And um, I decided at that point I was going to do my own publishing for a number of reasons. Now, I was very self-conscious about all those things, and I entered it into the San Diego Book Awards, and it ended up taking first place in the spiritual book category in the San Diego Book Awards. And then it was a, it was a, an award-winning finalist in the National Best Book Awards for memoirs, and Julie Andrews beat me, and that's fine with me because Julie Andrews deserves it. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it's made a difference. And then I ended up working with a producer slash engineer, and we did the audio book. And it's one of my most popular titles. So I got to the end of that, which chronologically speaking ends in 2000. And then a few years ago, I published Pico Flora, which is the sequel to it. And that's my next 20 years of going back and forth to the jungle um, doing uh, plant dietas. And um, all the other insanity that went in between, as well as all the other substances that I uh, indulged in over time. Now, just briefly, and, and I'll go off on any tangent you want, but when you do when you do the plant dietas in the jungle, ayahuasca is considered the mother of all the other plants. And then you work with other plants in conjunction with it. So every day, you get a pitcher full of a plant or plants, whatever they decide you might need. And you got to drink that pitcher every day. And then it's a very, very restricted diet. Um, no, no salt. Uh, no soap, no shampoo, no scents of any kind. And you get either quinoa, rice, or oatmeal boiled, period. Baked or boiled platanos, which are the non-ripe bananas that taste like cardboard. And maybe a piece of chicken or fish in once a day. You get And you get twice a day. And you go on like that. And so you have to drink this pitcher every day. And then roughly every other night, you do an ayahuasca ceremony. And then when you get to be an old dog like me, they bring it to you and you do it a couple of times during the day by yourself. Uh, in fact, behind me in this, this Zoom thing, that's my Tombow where I've done 10 dietas in that particular one. And I've done the other ones too. But it's a profound experience, life-changing, uh, changed my life. And so Spirit Matters ended with that first one that, that really changed uh, my direction. It's um, amazing. It's amazing. So what got you started on this whole path to begin with? Did you have one monumental just holy shit or was it just sort of infused in you from a child or like what's going on? It was Terrence McKenna, who was a friend of mine. I'm sure your audience knows who Mr. T was. So um, I went, so I went, I went through a period in the late 70s. I decided I wanted to go baseline. So I was a vegetarian for 23 years. I'm not anymore. And I went 13 years of that totally baseline. I wouldn't even take an aspirin if I had a headache, no caffeine. No, I went pure baseline. 
And then I got around to, which I think was his best book was Terrence, uh, Terrence's, um, food of the gods. And I was reading that thing and I'm like, psychedelics and spirituality. Are you kidding me? There could be a connection. Are you kidding me? So I went undercover, so to speak. This was back in, uh, it was probably the late nineties. Um, in fact, I know it was the late nineties. So mid, mid to late nineties, I went out and I spent a thousand bucks and I bought all the stuff. And after two failed tries, I finally grew my own mushrooms and I got back into it. And then in 96, I went to the first, uh, my first entheobotany seminar, which was up in San Francisco. And then I learned about the, the entheobotany seminars in, in Ushmal and Palenque. So I went in 98, 99, 2000, and 2001. Finally got to meet Terrence. Terrence always had that literary bent. And I gifted him with my first short story collection, which, by the way, something you mentioned is called The Small Dark Room of the Soul, the Soul and Other Stories. And he really liked it. Uh, he invited me to go visit him. I never got to do that. <clears throat> but my good bro, um, Jacques, who goes by Paloca Lele, actually took care of his uh, house, lived in his house for about six years after he passed away. But um, in, during that time, um, when, Tarrant, when we found out Terrence was going, that was when my historical novel was coming out. It was called Land Without Evil. First contact between the Jesuits and the Indians in South America, but it's told from the Indian's point of view, and it's all about shamanism. And they were doing the All Chemical Arts Festival in Hawaii, which was Terrence's last big event. And I couldn't go because my book was coming out like at the same time. So I did an all-nighter, and I drove up to L.A., and got a copy of the book, the very first book from the very first printing in hardcover. And I gave it to my buddy, Jacques Paloka, and I had him personally hand it to Terrence. And it may very well have been the last book he ever read. I'll, I'll never know for sure, but I got a picture of him with it. And he spent that whole time, uh, in fact, there's a little, I'll go off on this and then I'll stop. But he was going around the whole thing with that book. And people were like, what is that book that Terrence is reading? Well, two weeks later, three weeks, two, three weeks later, I was going to, uh, to an ayahuasca ceremony, one of my first, and I met Lorenzo, who does the Psychedelic Salon. And I helped him start that podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's been around, I think he started around 2007. Um. So um, I, I met him, and we got to talking, and, and he's like, oh, you're a writer? Yeah, I'm a writer, blah, blah. And I, and I says, well, I need to show you my book. So I go down to the trunk of my car and pop it open, and I pull out the book, and he freaks out. Oh, my God, we were, that's the book that Terrence was reading. Oh, man, we were wondering who wrote that book, and la, 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 la. And so we, 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 we had a really great connection. And uh, as I mentioned, I helped him start the Psychedelic Salon, and I used to go to the Antiobotany seminars, I religiously recorded every lecture I could on cassette tapes. I had Terence, Sasha Shogun, Christian Reich, Ralph Metzner, uh, Paul Stamets. And so when Lorenzo said he was going to start the podcast, I'm like, here you go, buddy. And then I also, um, I was on that eight or nine times. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Fadiman's work. Um, the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Jim's a brilliant guy. 
uh, turned out to be a close friend. So I interviewed him on uh, the Psychedelic Salon for that book. There's a whole Jim Fadiman story I could tell you about, but I, I can go off on tangents all day. Um, stay with the point. But when I thought that there could be those things, I was doing mushrooms by myself first. And then when I went to that first entheobotany seminar, I met the tribe. And as Lorenzo always used to say, finding the others. So I made connections. I got deeper into it. The uh, the gentleman who passed away last year, um, who put together the entheobotany seminars, I found out that he was going to Peru to do ayahuasca. Now, I researched ayahuasca for 10 years before I could find it. And I really wanted to go, and he kept blowing me off and blowing me off and blowing me off, probably because I'm a little nuts. Um, but he um, finally allowed me to go. And I actually went, like I said, I just did my 13th dieta. And my 12th one was in 2015, which was the last time he went, because he was getting really old. And he insisted that I go, and I was really deeply honored that, that he asked me. He wanted me there, for sure, to be part of it. So, you know, as part of all that and working with all the different plants and everything else, I started way back, started singing with the shamans. And I started really, and then doing all the different plants and this and that. And then as time passed and my mentor got older and he couldn't do it anymore, his heart was failing and all that, he passed on the whole ceremony stuff to, to me and some others. So I've been carrying the torch for that. And uh, I hate to say it these days, but you can tell by the gray hairs here, I'm, I'm easing into my elderhood. Dude, I've got them right here too. I'm I'm coming out with you. My wife loves every single one of them, man. She was like, "Oh yeah, you got another one." I'm like, "I know. I'm turning into a wizard. It's pretty cool, man. Embrace it. You're, you look great." Oh no, I am. I'm yeah, embracing yeah, it. I'm, I'm all about it. it. I love it. What else are you gonna do, right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Dude, this is yeah. fascinating. I mean, it's just so many, so many questions here, so many things to talk about. Of course, you're a frequent coast to coast guest, which is wonderful. That holds a near and dear um, place in my heart for oh, damn sure. I love George. Oh God, right? Did you ever get to talk to Art? Art no, Bell? you know, I, I first knew about Art because he had had Terrence on there, and I had queried them years ago. I got shot down, and I wasn't even going to do it. I was like, why bother? And my buddy Jacques, I was just telling you about it. He goes, no, why don't you check it out? Go ahead. I'm like, oh, man. He goes, no, just do it. I did. And next thing you know, the producer calls me. And she talks to me on the phone for about 20 minutes. She was screening me. And she said, you're good. We want you on. So I said, great. So I got on the first time. Saw a nice spike in book sales. Then I went back. And over time, I've developed a really great friendship with George. We love each other. We both have a great uh, connection to Ray Bradbury. So he loves me on there. I only go on a couple times a year because they don't they don't want to oversaturate. And I don't like to do that either, um, you know, to oversaturate it. But but when he's, as soon as I, hey, hey, George and crew, I got a new book. Okay, let's see, you know. And uh, now I'm a returning guest and that's given me a really great boost in my my writer's career. And I always like to say, I hope to be an overnight success after 45 years. <laughs> you're doing it right. Nobody wants to be an overnight success. You just, you're doing it right. It's, it's a, all the successes along the way that equal that. You're a success every day, which is great, right? It's even better. Um, Thank you. Well, what about these? So I'm very curious here because my friend, I've been a psychonaut for uh, the better part of my life as well. It started when I was 18 years old with my first introduction to acid LSD uh, in, in the liquid form. 
Uh, she mm-hmm. gave me a drop right on the tongue there and then um, gave me one on a sweet tart, which I immediately, I'm Texan, so we just are, we go for it. I immediately threw in my <laughs> mouth and ate at the second. And um, so immediately on two hits and had never done any altered state to that degree. I'd just been introduced to marijuana for the first time at age 18. It's pretty sheltered growing up. And then um, drinking a little bit, you know, doing the normal kid shit. And so that acid, though, like you said, the look in your eyes when you said it, same exact expression. That changed everything. It, it changed everything, man. And uh, my story is a little different than yours. And we'll we'll talk about mine off camera because I've shared it here already. But uh, it is fascinating, though, that now I'm to the point. The last two times I did mushrooms, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I did one uh, pretty decent dose, um, a, a normal dose for me. But the first time I ever took mushrooms, I took 14 grams. So that's where I like started. Oh, wow. I know. I didn't mean to. Well, I didn't mean to, but thank you. Um, but um, but since then, I mean, I consider fistfuls like, you know, who wrote, like I just chew on them all. You know what I mean? So there's there's a good amount that I'm very comfortable with as far as an altered state go. Also, I've uh, been introduced to uh, Mother Ayahuasca as well. This was two years ago. Quit drinking, just happened to quit drinking the month before and then got the opportunity. Right. So all of these interesting things have lined up. But uh, lately, the last time that I've done anything psychedelic of the nature was I smoked DMT this past uh, March, which was amazing on St. Patty's Day, just serendipitously. Mm. And it was incredible. Have you ever done that smoke DMT? Uh, yeah, three nights ago. Oh, okay. Well, I was about to say, so what, what, uh, I, so what are your thoughts on it? I, I'm five stars, man. I love it. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a fan of it. Um, to me, smoking it is like the soundbite for ayahuasca. Right, right. But I've got... I had about 13 years of very intense experience with 5-MeO-DMT. I started with it back in 98. We used to get it. Nobody really knew what it was then. And we used to get it from a a lab in China. So we used to order. We would all go in and get massive quantities of it. And I went through a 13-year stretch. I've taken hundreds of people. I've taken hundreds of people on lots of different trips with lots of different stuff. But tons of that. And then it got to the point where I was like, okay, not that big of a deal anymore. And then some of the people I was associated with um, were going overboard with it. And I actually removed myself from them. I thought my uh, girlfriend at the time, I thought this is, this is really getting out of hand. Um, I'm stepping back from this with this group. And then four months later, one of them ended up killing themselves. Um, on 5-MEO. She, she took a big hit. He got into this, this, this bozo got into this thing, well, I'm going to birth people, and he started doing it in a jacuzzi. So this person who was his fiance um, was not happy with him and what he was doing, lack of integrity. But, so she made a big deal, and she filmed it. And she took a big hit and submerged herself and killed herself. And for me, that was four months after I already got out of there. But I had to get back in with some heavy-duty people and do an intervention. Because with this stuff, you have to be self-policing. You know, you're. it's not legal. So anyway, I did enough of that. And then I did a, I did a ceremony. I didn't smoke anything or nothing. And I buried my pipe under a Datura bush, uh, which seemed appropriate. And then I was on a uh, visionary art tour um, back in 2018. I went all through Florida and up through the Northwest United States with the Pablo Amaringo artists and all that. And I got offered 
uh, an opportunity with some really sweet people to do some of the venom, the actual venom, as opposed to straight 5-MeO. And I thought, oh, what the hell? It's been a while. So I did. had a great time. Um, and then in the past year or so, a friend of mine tapped into some pure 5-MeO. So I've hit it a few times here and there. But, but to address what you're saying, Alan Watts had a famous saying, and he basically said, I think he'll go something like this. I may be mangling a little bit, but he says, you've gotten the message. You can hang up the phone now. Yes, that's that's sort of the, honestly, you nailed it with this. That's the way that I feel about it. It's it's not that I'm not welcome. It's just that I don't need the training wheels on the bike anymore. I don't need to walk down that road because I've done it a bunch. I've I've gained the insights that I will from that, and now it's time to just move on for now. And now I'm, it's not like, a, oh, I'm never going to again. I'll know when I'm, when I'm, welcomed or i'll know when when to go back right but it's just yeah, yeah. right now i'm very aware that it's just not on my path right now and i'm okay with it sure no no it's, it's a good thing if, if I, I i'm to the point now i always tell people i'm permanently altered i'm in a constant state of integration 24 7 and if i never do anything ever again i'm fine nailed it absolutely nailed and, it and and i was at that point when i was gonna quit ayahuasca ceremonies when the people came to me and basically said we, we'd like you to lead and i thought about it and then i thought you know all the experience that i have and all that's been given to me it's necessary to pass it on to be and one of the definitions of shamanism is to be a bridge and my mentor has passed away just like with the writers conferences i don't know if anybody's familiar with ray bradbury or not but he was one of my mentors it's amazing he's dude. gone yes my mentors are all gone. And guess what? Here I am. So I'm carrying the torch. So, you know, when I lead, you know, for all those years, I was always a kamikaze when I did ayahuasca in the ceremony. Give me a full dose right up front. Boom. Usually that was enough. Sometimes at one point I had three doses and, they, and then they shut me off. But usually one big solid dose up front, blow my brains out. Let's go hyperspace, you know. But when I lead ceremonies, I do about a third of a dose um, because I'm responsible for everybody in that circle. I have to be aware of the whole dynamics of the whole circle. I have to be aware of each individual. I have to be able to, I want to be in the space, but I have to be able to focus in and, and be there for them if, if uh, some, some help is needed. So I do. But I'm just not, things, things don't affect me the way they used to. Um, I don't, I'm not... For, for 10 years, the shamans had me be the guy who tested their brew. I was the official tester of the different brews that they had. And now people ask me, I go, you know, I'm not really a good judge anymore because I've done everything in massive quantities and I'm just not impressed anymore. And as I mentioned, I'm permanently altered 24-7 anyway. I'm in a constant state of integration. And and there are ways you can do this work without the substances. They're they're great helps. They're great tools. I love your constant state of integration because you can. I still think about the thoughts that I had and how different they were when I took acid the very first time, and and how different my mind was from the day that I woke up that morning to the night when I went to sleep that night after having that experience. Like it's so different, and you can think about just the idea of those that can experience that but don't like that you can just contemplate 
from that point, you could just stay back there and integrate that the whole rest of your life. But since then, like you, it's been colored with all sorts of uh, tapestry of a myriad of amazing things that then encounter, you encounter an entourage effect with just what the experience is of to integrate, as you said, as you're, as you're going forward here. I think it's a brilliant way to put it, man. Oh, thank you. Um, th th what I tell people, particularly in ceremonies, when, when we're integrating afterwards, is this. You will see things and be shown things, shadow, stuff you need to look at. So many people have a profound experience and they think, oh, I've seen that, I'm cured. And then they go off and they think they're a guru. I go nuts. I call it guruitis. Yeah, the and, white shaman. And I get a little right? pissed. I'm like, ah, they're a bunch of rookies, you know? Yeah. But, but what I tell people is, look it, you're only being shown this in this particular state. But as soon as you go back into the world, if you don't put into practice in your day-to-day -day life what you've been shown, then you're just wasting your time. And you need to realize that that space, that energy, whatever you want to call it, is there because you found it. And when you're challenged in your day-to-day -day life, you can go back to that. You can go back to getting raging energy and get violent if you're upset. Or you can go back to a loving space. We have, we have a choice. So I always tell them, don't think just because you've seen it for the first time that you've got it figured out because you don't. And the truth of it is, it's just about the time you think you have it all figured out is right when you'll get your ass handed to you. Every time, right? Pretty much, yeah. Might take a day or two, but it'll happen. I guarantee <laughs> it. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So let me ask you this then, because I'm very curious about this. One of the feelings I have with psychedelics and with more things around us now is this idea that there are spirits and energy traps and, and things like this that are just waiting for you to make the wrong move, of which you're unaware, by the way, and then take advantage of that energetically from you. One of these has been pointed out, uh, not that I agree with it, we're just talking here, uh, is mm -hmm. psychedelics. And that being that it's sort of this out-of-body state or you open yourself and are volunteering because of, you're basically imbibing in this um, plants that then you are taking contract with this entity that you don't fully understand. You get a benefit from it in a sense, but also there's a, um, there's a cost to it that you're not fully aware of in the moment. So first of all, do you agree that the potential for that to happen is in the psychedelic space? Yes and no. And I can elaborate. In the end, it all comes down to one of the expressions I heard somewhere, which I love, which I stole, is radical subjectivity. I'm stealing so, that as well. Yeah. I, I, anything I got, I'm a writer, dude. Anything I say, <laughs> no. anything I blab, steal it. Um, this is the thing. If you go far enough in, you're going to head out. And if you go far enough out, you're going to head in. This kind of ties in a bit with the holographic cosmic man that, that I wrote. Either way, so any demons that we have, they're our own. We created them. So if you believe an entity or you are fear that an entity is going to possess you, there's a good chance it will. But in shamanism and in, and in my reality, by the way, everything I say here is just in my universe. I don't care if anybody agrees or not. It's my universe. My universe. Do what you want. That's right. But um, anything you do originates with you 
and often it can have a, a cultural context. But in shamanism, absolutely everything is energy, period. Whether it's a thought, a feeling, emotion, the desk in front of you, the, the things that, it's all energy. It's just different vibratory frequencies. And one of the things that ayahuasca does is opens you up to all of them. But if you go in and you keep integrity and you follow your heart, then you'll find the way. And in my humble opinion, there's no such thing as a bad trip. It's all about what you need to see, what you need to learn, what you need to experience. So you have to be willing. You know, here's the thing. My old coach used to call them granola eaters. I just want to see the light, and I just want to be the light, and I just want to bring the light to everybody. <laughs> you have to experience the light and the dark. Because the darker the dark, the brighter the light, the brighter the light, the darker the dark. And guess what? You're looking for the middle. And what happens in the middle? What happens in the eye of a storm? Nothing. Peace. So even in ayahuasca journeys, you need to um, be able to navigate the dark and the light equally. I, I've had a couple of experiences in the jungle. <clears throat> One time... I was deep in, in altered state and ceremony. And this freaking alien demon thing comes right in front of me and goes, Rah. you know, it's a slave ring with its teeth. And, all that. and I looked at it and went, fuck you. And all of a sudden it went poof, like a smoke yes. turned into this beautiful woman. She giggled and she disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. And then another time I was involved with some dark things in my life and I was in the jungle. And these like big bat creature things, and you know, in my visions, were attacking me. And they're coming at me and coming at me and coming at me. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell's going on here? What is this all about? And, you know, all the questions you'd ask yourself, right? And they're coming at me. And then finally I thought, wow, thank you guys for thinking that I'm important, that I'm worthy of so much of your attention. And they were gone. So you know, one of the things I've taught and one of the things I've learned and one of the things that I live is that we're creators. Whether anybody believes in whatever, whatever, we all have the divine spark within each one of us. And in my experience, I've discovered that we're all mirrors of each other. I mean, just in this conversation you and I have had so far, there's a lot of reflections between us. There's a lot of synchronicity. There's a lot of we're kindred spirits in many ways. 100%, brother. Yeah, so, so those aspects of me that have those energies that are in you, we recognize each other. And we share that energy. So in the jungle, when you take ayahuasca or all the other plants, and the shamans say it's the spirits of the plants. Well, you can take the word spirit and you can take the word of energy and they're really fully interchangeable. If I suddenly get upset and I freak out and I start beating people up, you could say that I was possessed by the spirit of anger. If a beautiful woman comes through my door and I happen to get lucky, which hasn't happened for a while, but if I happen to get lucky, I could be possessed by the spirit of love. So those energies you cultivate. And then you learn, if I'm feeling a particular way, you know when you get very angry or upset for whatever reason, and you feel self-righteous and you feel you're right, 
there's a quality to that energy. And when you're paying more attention and you're working on expanding reality, Come on. and got your plug there, and uh, expanding your awareness, right? Then you begin to notice and feel the nature of those energies. And something that feels so right in a moment of anger, which you feel so right, I've learned to shut up. And then usually two days later or three days later, I'll go, oh my God, I was so wrong. I'm so happy I kept my mouth shut. I was so wrong, but it felt so right at the time. So you learn over time to understand which energies are which. And you cultivate those. And when you take all these different plants in conjunction with, with ayahuasca, you put yourself under the influence of those plants. Plant or plants. Sometimes they make, you know, there, there are uh, combinations. There's another thing in the lore of the jungle that they call whistling through, whistling through the forest. Basically, and it has to do with singing ikaros and things like that. And basically they say, look at you're going to the jungle and you say, I'm respecting you. Everything here that's visible and invisible, I respect you. I'm honoring you. I know you're here. And I know that you can either kill me or you can heal me. And I'm telling you and I'm asking you to heal me because I see you and I respect you. And that's the whole attitude of going in. And then there are other things, you know, you can do, you know, for protection and blah, 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 and all that. Does it really but for it's all you, inside right? of us. Pardon those me? are really more for you. The things about protection, those are really more for your mental uh, fortification, just for your confidence, more or less, so that you well, yes, but, but, but the actually, way. but for everybody else, right? Right. Like when I'm leading a ceremony, I start off with the incantation, right, and calling in the four directions and all that, and creating an energetic container, so people can be vulnerable within that, lose their mind, puke their guts out shit their pants with no judgment, scream, cry, whatever they need to do in a place where they can be safe and vulnerable in order to work with their process. Now, the fact that I do that in the beginning, and I do it with confidence, and I've experienced it, that instills it in them. Hey, I'm safe with this person. I'm safe in this ceremony. And I thoroughly screen people before I ever even let them in. I thoroughly screen them. And part of my screening is developing a rapport with them so that they have to understand, you better trust me fully and completely or, or don't come. So in moments where they may get lost in their process and be in particularly dark places, I can come up to them and I can get them and say, look at me. I'm right here with you. You're okay. I'm here with you. I'm, 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 I'm watching. I got your back. And it makes all the difference in the world. Sure. They, they, they feel safe. Because you need to be able to feel safe and protected and be vulnerable. And in the end of all of this, when it all comes down to what uh, Frank Zappa called the crux of the biscuit, is that fear is contraction and love is expansion. That's, the, that's the really the basics of it all. So when there's fear and you have emotional things, I always like to tell people that emotions can mug you. And they often do. How many people have been murdered for this or that because of crimes of passion? Yeah. Right? They lost their mind, right? For whatever reason. And emotions are, energetically speaking, they're more mercurial and they're more rapidly, more, they're faster moving. So they can catch you off guard before you realize what's happening. And that's where... Uh, cultivating a higher awareness 
helps you to notice those things and get a sense of what that energy is, not only within yourself, but coming from other people. You, you get more highly, more highly tuned, more highly aware. So, you know, you get to a state eventually, too, where you're in such a high state of being, um, you know, constantly integrating 24-7 and permanently altered forever. You get to that state, you don't want to do anything else that's going to mess with it. You know, you want to cultivate that. Doesn't mean that maybe every once in a while you can go and get a tune-up. You know, maybe, okay, maybe, I'll, you know, if whatever, some time has passed. I tell a lot of younger people, too, <clears throat> guys I've seen who are doing lots of things, I'll tell them, why don't you try doing nothing for a while? Because if you go to baseline, if you're doing so much shit all the time, then, then baseline becomes an altered state. So why don't you go there for a while and see, see what's happening there? And then experience that, you know, like I said, for me, I did it 13 years. I'm not saying anybody do, you know, don't try this at home, do whatever you want. Everybody's in their own place on their path and doing their own experimenting. That That's all good. But, um, you know, when you do things, there's a difference between doing things to explore and find out things about yourself and the world and the universe and the cosmos and doing things simply to escape. And there can be a very fine line. So, you know, it's one of the reasons why I have no use for alcohol. Same, dude. Um, two and a half. It'll be three years in May, I think. And I'm just, I don't even rem remember the day. I didn't even memorialize it. I just stopped after like 20 something years, you know. Uh, and it's, you know, balls yeah. deep in the family, which I'm not into the genetics part of it. I think epigenetics are very, um, are, are crucial to this under understanding of that we're more powerful rather than being slaves to what our parents, we think our parents gave us. I think they gave us a lot of opportunity, but also a coping mechanism, right? The expansion, the possibility for expansion, but also the contraction mechanism at the same time. And it's interesting the way you phrase that, man, because I think of this like exactly to what you said, when you go to whatever this way, you're going to end up the other. And so this middle point, this boundary is, is or this balance rather is what, uh, has been illuminated in me recently with the, this darkness that I've been um, walking through and it's made my light even brighter, man, from a very different place. And it's very interesting, um, but it, it was very fucking dark and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for every step in the path. And so this leads me sort of to where I'm at now. And I just want to kind of say something and see what you think about it. Sure. Lately, uh, I, I am, I'm coming out of the new age woo-woo, the, the uh, stuff that makes us all sick uh, as far as that goes, or uh, I felt was really uh, crucial and valuable, and it absolutely was. I'm not, I don't uh, regret any of it because I don't have regrets in my life, but I'm on the other side of that now, which made me, uh, thrust me into this dark part of contraction, right? And on, in this darkness, as I kept moving through it, I found a new expansion, a new light through, but it was the other side of the dark. It's not like a ping from one to the other. You bet. It's like a cave where all the lights are just fucking out and you're just in this damn thing until you find light. And it felt mm -hmm. like it was going to take forever. So with this, though, I have a new perspective offered in the form of a lens. And that's just what I have to offer this place. I don't plant my flag. I don't have beliefs. I have ideas because ideas are easier to change. I don't have a firm footing on which to plant this place because I honestly have been shown nothing but paradox here, to be honest, Bubba. And there's just so many things in contradiction to one another. You can see a myriad of examples of this. But to my point, one of the things I've really been experienced is the opposite of this 
that things are here to be of benefit for you. Uh, I have now shifted it from that everything's just kind of out to get you. Uh, what I what Carlos Castaneda would call the allies, as you says, also can be used for to kill or heal you, right? And it's all in how you approach them, and it's all how this interaction plays out, but it all has to do with you, which there's no manual for, you know, which again, it seems like the modus operandi of this place is this trial and error, but it allows you to find your balance, I think, which is where I'm at with this. Now, I'm a big fan of your perspective as that it can kill or hurt you, as it, it, that there are things to help if you come at the right energy, but you've got to like be strong and confident in your resolve, right, in your constitution. And so this is the part I feel that I'm balancing the pendulum out in, to where it's not all dark, to where no, if you you know want to do psychedelics, you're not going to get fucking body snatched and something's going to hop in there. I, I think it's very interesting, though, whenever comparing the two ideas, because that's what they are. They're pretty competing ideas in, the, in a sense that the spirits are there for you to imbibe and then work with, with the perspective I'm sort of sitting with now in this hesitant place, which I'm not a fan of, right? Just the whole idea of it being so hesitant in nature uh, is not my, my uh, vibe anyhow. But it's a good, it's been a good, interesting lesson. But it also seems that from that perspective, you're not supposed to fuck with these things at all. Like any of them don't have authentic value to offer you. It's all to be, uh, it's all deceiving. It's all things that are going to contractually um, nab you into being an energetic loose farm for this thing. So again, and even that perspective, I'm, I'm not a... It sucks, to be honest with you. Um, but it was more of a, again, a lens in which I dropped into the viewing of this. But with this perspective also of a balancing out to where they can do either. Yeah, they're here to fuck you up or uh, they can really be of service to you and be an ally if you come at it with the right energy. This is sort of um, something that's more appealing to me, man. This never anything all or nothing anyhow, but this integration of the two ideas seems to be more of uh, where I'm finding a nice, nice comfortable spot in for the time being, which I know will fucking change because this place is riddled with what I feel that, honestly, I do have one belief. My belief is this place is riddled with temporary truths. That's it. It's things that you feel so certainly about, but you can, if you can get to the point to where anything you absolutely feel so certainly about, you know will possibly change and probably change, I think that that changes this place for everyone. For you just to know, hey, the way that I feel now, I'm probably not going to. And Neil Donald Walsh's book, Conversations with God, he says, you never know how you're going to feel on any given tomorrow. And it's the same idea. There's just temporary truths is all we're fucking with here, you know, as they say. So what do you think, man? The darkness and the light coming together, you know, I've, uh, like I said, I'm coming out of, and you've been through a few of these dark night um, fuckeries, man. What do you, what do you think coming out of that kind of stuff? What do you, what did you experience? Do you have anything to share with that? Yeah, a lot. I just went through another one, actually. Uh, uh, last couple, year, this past year? Last couple months. Was this, it June to, months. okay, what are we talking, no, actually, June, August? From September. Okay. Till probably the end of November. Okay. Well, also things are going to lighten up in a uh, July or January 4th or 5th, something like that, when Mercury gets out of retrograde. It's supposed to, for all mm -hmm. of us, we've been this collective, but also these mm -hmm. micro dark nights as well. So it's interesting to yeah. corroborate yours too. I won't, I won't get into details, but there was a lot of death, suicide, um, like, same. like back to back. Yes, same. Um, and then I was very, very much challenged. Um, what was with all the death and it. shit last year, this year? Oh, yeah. For, for a lot of people. So, you know, there, there are, there are cliches and they become cliches for a reason. And if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger is one of them. And one of the things I stress with people when I counsel them and when I'm screening them for a ceremony is I look them right in the eye and I'll tell them, 
I'll go absolutely anywhere. I'm trying to look at the camera. I'll, I'll go absolutely anywhere in the dark with you. And I will. Because I, I've explored it. And it's there for a reason. And, and darkness is tied in with fear because it has contains the unknown. But to me, the darkness is what holds the secrets to breaking through, as you said. And sometimes not doing anything and not knowing what to do and not knowing how to act is exactly what you should do. There's nothing. And just wait. Because something will come along. If you think about the greatest myths in our culture, in our world, I always like to use the, the one of St. George and the Dragon. St. George and the Dragon, he has to fight the dragon to save the babe. And the dragon has the babe, and he's guarding the cave with all the gold in it, right? That's really uh, the metaphor for shadow work. And what I discovered through all my work writing fiction and teaching it and all that is that the shaman's journey to the underworld, which is worldwide in different ways, and the shaman's journey to the underworld in different cultures, sometimes they go down and they get decapitated, sometimes they get dismembered, sometimes their bones are taken out and replaced with quartz, they're destroyed. And then they come back. Not the same. That is the essence of the hero's journey. That is the essence of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, which is the essence of story, what it really is. And if you look at the greatest stories that we know now in the media and film and all that, Star Wars follows the hero's journey exactly. So doesn't Harry Potter. So doesn't Lord of the Rings. So doesn't The Hobbit. Every story follows that. Because when the heroes start out, they're not heroes. They're, they're little furry hobbits, you know, or, or you know, abused Harry Potter being stuck under the, in the closet under the, you know, the uncle's uh, stairs, right? They, they're not, they're not that until they go through those things and they get challenged and they overcome the darkest, deepest fears. And then they emerge as a hero. And the hero has to take what they learn from the other world, so to speak, and bring it back to the regular people. Which also, uh, you know, it follows uh, Plato's myth of the cave. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with that or not. Um, we experience it if we do different substances and actually learn things from it. So, and then all of this goes back. Are you familiar? Um, I'll, I'll hit it briefly, but are you familiar with Stan Groff's work with the perinatal matrices? No, but I'm writing it down. Okay. Stan Groff is brilliant. He's getting up there now. He started off back in, I think, the 40s, um, experimenting with psychoanalysis and psychology and LSD. And then over time, when LSD became legal, he um, expanded and created what's called holotropic breathwork. So in a nutshell, it's based on the perinatal matrices, and there are four of them. The first perinatal matrix, you are in the womb, your reality is expanded. All your needs are met. Uh, under normal circumstances, your mother loves you. All you, Everything you need is right there, and all you're doing is expanding and expanding more every day. Then the second perinatal matrix hits, and suddenly your world contracts. 
and suddenly your blissful environment becomes polluted with hormones and all these other things. And suddenly what has been blissful and expansive for all your known experience in this reality shifts and it starts to collapse and get ruined. Well, then the third perinatal, perinatal matrix comes along and you get jammed into the freaking birth canal, which is even worse, right? You go from expansion to contraction, full-on contraction. You're, you, you can't even hardly fit in there. Terrifying. And then, of course, the fourth perinatal matrix, you get blasted out into the world. Usually the first thing that happens is you get smacked in the ass, right? And then here you are, right? But you've gone from expansiveness into the deepest, darkest contraction of, of, you know, of dark, and then bang, out into the light. And then you grow again. Now, everything you experience in, in the world as you go forth adds to those initial layers that, that we're not really conscious of because you, you can't even articulate things when you're at that stage of a growing awareness. You, you can't even put it in words or anything. So everything that goes on from there usually ties into one of those perinatal matrices and our deepest, darkest fears go into the contraction. And what happens when you're contracted? You know, if I'm threatened by somebody, what do you do? You armor up, right? You get tight, right? Um, any insect or animal or anything that gets threatened, what does it do? It gets down, right? The bombs go off. What do you do? You get down, right? It's all down. When you start to expand, one of the funny things of expansion is that you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable when you expand. That's been a massive challenge for me um, for years and years and years. I'm better at it now because I'm understanding it more, but boy, in the beginning, it was not easy at all. You know, I was a street fighter and all that stuff. Um, I was ready. You know, you want to go? Let's go. Let's step outside, you know, blah, 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 all that, right? Um, so that, allowing myself to be vulnerable and maybe even taking some shots here and there, you know, not so much physically, probably more emotionally, um, was a very difficult, challenging part of my growth. But if you continue on the path and you continue to expand and you break through and you understand the dynamics of the light and the dark and the fear and all that, then, and I love paradox is one of my favorite words. You mentioned paradox, one of my favorite words of all time. Because when you overcome a paradox and you overcome polarities, in my humble opinion, that's the definition of transcendence. And you also made a great analogy to a pendulum. Pendulum swings up in one direction until it reaches a point, and then it's momentarily weightless. It has no energy. And then it shifts back down to the middle, and then the same thing goes up on the other side. But when it's dead center at the bottom, that is where the maximum amount of energy is. Peak energy is in the middle. So, to me, the path is really striving toward the middle and to stay in the middle. And the path to that, in my experience, in my humble opinion, in my reality, whatever you want to call it, is the path of the heart. Castaneda even said, a warrior follows a path with heart. And in, in my experience, the heart has far more wisdom than the mind. But of course, the mind's got the monkey mind, and it's always like, right? It never shuts up, right? 
And that's what produces the mud shadows, as Castaneda would say, right? That present in in the form of these anything, insert shitty obstacle or um, parent or any kind of challenging growth opportunity, right? There, uh, but it's all based on the chatter of your mind, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, one one of my old shamanic teachers said that we choose the lessons we want to learn before we come into the world, and then we're programmed to. Um, have those experiences to learn those particular lessons that we want to learn. I found that to be true for me. Even when I when I decided I wanted to be peaceful and all that, I was still attracting some uh, violence to myself subconsciously. And once I figured that out, I'm finally past that now. Um, it's not happening anymore, but it wasn't easy, you know, and I had to go through a few experiences with that. Um, you know, but how do you deal with it? How do we, how do you react? And you, you know, return hate with hate. I, I, somebody I know who's Palestinian, I won't get into politics, but he got very upset at me because I wouldn't take sides. And I said, I'm not taking sides. I love everybody and I have sympathy for everybody because there's innocence on both sides of that. And one side, no matter who started it or who did what, one's not really any better than the other one. They're both doing horrible things. So I'm not taking a side. I, I want the best for everybody. And I, my empathy and, and it goes out to everybody. Uh, that to me is a, a, a transcendent perspective. And not that I think I'm transcendent. I have my challenges just like anybody else. And I always like to say that anybody who tells you that they're enlightened, run. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Other way, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Could not agree more. Yeah. Uh, I'd say there's a little bit of the Dunning-Kruger effect going on here from friend to mirror here. I I feel I can at least acknowledge that uh, you are quite intelligent and you have uh, some incredible insight. So I'll at least acknowledge that here. And the Dunning-Kruger effect, of course, is just when dumb people perhaps are very loud about the fact that they're enlightened, right? Or unenlightened people, I would rather say, are, are very loud about their intelligence and how much they know and how clear they are about things. And then people who really have their shit together, as it were, don't feel that they do at all. And it's an interesting paradox, as it were, but it's one of those things here. Which is a fascinating place, dude. Um, I'm then curious about your uh, worldview. Like, what do you think the purpose of life is if there is one? Like, the meaning to this place? What the hell is going on here? To me, the purpose is expansion of consciousness. And, you know, people say to me, well, why do you do these things? And why do you get altered states and blah, blah, blah? And I say, well, why are they there in the first place? And what have I discovered, you know, over time, I had no feminine side for, for a large portion of my life. None. I went for 30 years without ever crying. There was nothing there. Nothing. And through the work of uh, primarily the plant medicines, mostly ayahuasca, which is considered the mother and archetype uh, knowledge, uh, ayahuasca is considered the dark feminine. I rediscovered my feminine side. And when I did, my intuition went. And, you know, rediscovering my feminine side has nothing to do with, like, you know, sexual orientation or none of that crap. It has to do with becoming a balanced individual, which the world is in dire need of, which is why we're so screwed up in the first place. Right? But my intuition went up. And then I started having a lot more synchronicities, um, a lot more magical things happening. 
and started interacting more with, for lack of better words, uh, elemental spirits and started to become more unified. One of the things I love to say when you're doing ayahuasca, Diata, is you're getting a tour of the jungle from the inside out. And you literally become the jungle. And you become that whole wonderful synchrony uh, symphony of sights and sounds and, you know, even dog-eat-dog dog and bug-eat-bug. And uh, you, you really become a part of that and you understand it and you comprehend it and you realize that no matter what happens, the universe is always seeking balance. And in my experience and in my humble opinion, if you continue to strive, the more you continue to strive towards seeking balance, the more you are becoming um, in alignment with the universal vibe, the universal vibration. So even now, people have done things that weren't cool around me, and I and I thought, well, the only would have got revenge. I, in the back of my mind, I'm going, man, you're going to get it. I don't have to do nothing. And sure enough, I watch it happen. Because you want to swim upstream and try to swim all the way upriver against the raging current, but you want to figure out what the current is, and you want to go with it. And when you go with it, it's interesting because in one aspect, another paradox in a way, you, you surrender yourself to it. But in surrendering yourself to it, ultimately you're gaining more individuality. And you're not going along with all the chaos. There's always chaos within order, within chaos, within order. And it's always seeking balance. So if you really strive to try to seek balance, I think your perspective gets clearer, your awareness expands, you see more and more and more. Sometimes I think, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this. And then right when I figure it all out and I understand how everything is perfect, then I'm going to croak. I, you know? We've talked about this. That you'll just like queef out of existence. And maybe this is what spontaneous combustion is. Maybe that people just figure it out. Maybe they just ask the right question in their mind and their guides just go, holy shit, or whatever the system. And then just literally liquefies their body because that information can't get out. Nobody can know, and they basically beat the game. I saw this funny little cartoon. It's a four-panel cartoon. You know the little silica packets that come in like your shoes or leather or something to keep it fresh? No, yeah. And they say, do yeah. not eat on the outside of it? It's a cartoon of a guy looking at one of those, and he was like, whatever, and he opens it up and eats them, right? And then he wakes up in a chair with a doctor sitting next to him and the nurse, and he, it's the doctor is congratulating him for beating the simulation, meaning like, hey, the, it was there all along. All you had to do was question this thing, and then boom, you're out. So do you think that's possible? Do you think that this is a game of enlightenment to where at some point during it, if you ask the right question or have the right set of experiences and are facing east and you have the right key in your pocket that you'll just queef out of existence because you understand or understand this place or whatever? Yes, but I think it's far, far, far more complex than that. There are tons of elements. When you start to see yourself and everything else, you know, here's the thing. I can't change what's going on in the world around me. I can't change Ukraine or the middle. I can't change any of that. But I can change how I put that together in my mind and how I react to it and what kind of energy do I want to manifest to bring into the world. Do I want to get, you know, go nuts and go with the right? Or do I want to be nuts and go with the left? Or I always like to say, if you go far enough right, you're going to end up left. And if you go far enough left, you're going to end up right. Yeah. I don't want to go along with any of that. 
So because I possess, we all do, radical subjectivity, how I interpret it and what I do with it dictates going forward. And there's a shamanic concept um, that I've embraced that has worked for me. And everything that I see coming my way, I see as a challenge. And in shamanism, to be able to take something that appears to be absolutely, totally, a gazillion percent against you and turn it to your advantage, that's the key. That's what happens. This alchemy. And yeah, alchemy, sure. But, but to be able to go against, quote, unquote, common wisdom. You know, my, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to do something. My grandmother was there. And I, we're talking, and, she, and I go, well, all my friends are doing it. She looks at me, and she says, well, if all your friends are going to go jump off a roof and kill themselves, are you going to do that too? And I went, wow. I never thought of it that way. And then I'd be with the gang, and somebody would say, oh, hey, I'm going to go do this. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I go, nah, go ahead, I'm not. And they all look at me. They go, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Half the time, they'd either follow me or half of them would follow me. And over time, I became a leader. You know? And I've been a leader all my life in different ways. Um, because I go my own way. And when I see everybody going in one direction, I usually run the other way, just like the whole guru thing I was talking about, right? <laughs> if a movie gets too popular, I won't watch it. Um, if, if something gets really popular... I want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm I'm going the other way because most likely if all the sheep are going there, go ahead and have your sheep party. And there's an awesome quote. I, it's not mine. I can't remember whose it is, but it's uh, to be well adjusted to a sick society is no measure of good health. And I love that quote. That's awesome. That sounds like something Einstein or Alan Watts or somebody would say. Yeah, I forget uh, who. I want to say it was a woman, honestly, um, but I can't remember. Be. I'm gonna, I'll yeah, Google yeah. that. But uh, yeah. So I tell you what, man, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I still have a million more things to ask you, which is what we're going to set up here whenever you get off here. We're going to do a Patreon chat. So you guys definitely check the link below so you guys can come hang out for these hangouts that we're doing. You get to hang out with Mateo here and myself and the rest of the group and ask him anything you want. Uh, ask him about, you know, what it's, what he uses on his bug bites, what he uses for topical balm down there in the, uh, well, it's not now, uh, but, you know, perhaps discuss it on the next one. Guys, um, but all the ways to find you, of course, brother, are going to be linked down in the show description, your website, uh, both of them, your publishing, as well as your main home there. Dude, I, I just have to ask, is, this is a wild ass place. And before we bid you farewell, and I'll give you the last word here, just let us know what keeps you up in the morning. What gets you up with hope? What keeps your feet moving forward? Why do you keep moving forward, even though there is a bunch of weird shit here and that this journey can be challenging, man? Well, as always like to say, and it's not original, but I'm quoted. It only takes one flame to light a whole room full of darkness. And if it takes one flame to light a whole room full of darkness, then think about more. And I tell people after they do an integration with me after ceremonies, you're all a light. And you've all brightened your light. Now you can all go out into the world like sparks from a fire and sparks from a fire can burn down a whole forest. So enough people are lost in the dark. We're in desperate times. Things are worse than ever. 
in many respects. So you want to just go along and throw up your hands and get drunk and go watch. Not that there's anything wrong with watching football, but you know, go watch football or, or, or this or that and get drunk and you know, wake up, feel like shit in the morning and do it again. Or you want to go out and make a difference and maybe discover some of the life's mysteries. And in the end, um, for me, it's all about embracing, I always like to say the great mystery, embracing the great mystery and expanding and finding out we are far more than mere humans. We're far more than what we think. Reality is far, far more complex than we can even begin to imagine in many respects. So it's there for the taking. Follow your heart. Love, love, love. Love is all you need. I'll leave it at that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.